Hello, Marvelites, who are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 546. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink, pirate of the underworld. Yar! Yar, I don't know. pirate. We've been talking about pirates a lot, so I don't know. That's just life. That's life. Catherine, every once in a while, she says, let's be pirates, and she goes, Arr! treasure, tre-, and then she'll start walking around talking about finding treasure, and it's really cute. That's extremely adorable. My husband never does that, so. Maybe watch some Backyardigans, because I think that's where she got it from, and then he might be into it. I'm very familiar with Backyardigans because of TikTok, so. Really? Yeah, Into the Thick of It is a very popular song. If you know, you know. I don't know any of that, and that's totally fine. We're not here to talk about the Backyardigans or TikTok, (laughs) I hope, because this is the official Marvel podcast where we talk about what's happening this week in Marvel, whether it's games, comics, movies, TV, or whatever the heck Lorraine and I are excited about. Oh, man, we've got stuff. Yeah, you know what I'm excited about. First of all, I'm very excited for our guest this week, which is Roseanne A. Brown, who is author of Into the Heartlands, a Black Panther novel featuring Shuri and T'Challa. We're going to talk with her a little bit later. She is a delight. But you know what else I'm excited about? What's that? Marvel Studios Moon Knight. Get punched in the fist. Get punched all over. Uh, Yes, we are talking about Marvel Studios Moon Knight. Episode 3 dropped this week, and along with it, we got new posters. I am loving this poster energy coming out of Marvel Studios. They're just Mm -hmm. like, here's a new episode, here's new posters, go and enjoy it. Yeah. I always just love that it's like a little tease. It's a good look at the costume. I know the cosplayers love to see it because when people are jumping through the air, it's harder to like clock their costumes and make them. Ooh, is anybody making cosplay for Moon Knight? (gasps) If you are, will you just like tweet us and tag us in it? I just want to see. That's so yeah, cool. That'd be super cool. Yeah, Halloween should be super fun. There's going to be so many amazing possibilities for costumes yeah. coming from Marvel this year. Holy moly. Yeah. Well, considering that there are mm, approximately 800 films, series, everything, like it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot in all the best ways. It's great. Like even when we did the stream for Hot Topic Live the other week, there was this dress inspired by Marvel Studios' Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness from her universe. And I gave it to my wife, Elizabeth, and I know you loved it. And yeah. she tried it. I was like, this is fabulous. She's going to wear it when we go see the movie. So like all these opportunities, it's, it's going to be terrific. I'm going to wear it when I go see Doctor Strange too. And with my America jacket. <gasps> I have to say that America Jean Jacket is thebomb.com. And if you love Moon Knight as a character, why aren't you reading a Moon Knight comic? There are some Moon Knight collections that are going to be available for sale in the Marvel Comics app through the end of the month. If you don't have the Marvel Comics app, go download it for free Mm -hmm. and enjoy comic book. The shopping sale is going to be a Marvel Insider event. If you are not yet a Marvel Insider, again, go over to marvel.com slash insider, sign up. You get free points for doing the stuff you do anyways, like watching videos and reading comics, and you can get free stuff mm-hmm. and free downloads of fun things. You're welcome. And almost any Moon Knight trade that you can think of right now is discounted, including the 2021 first volume of Moon Knight Go do it now. You only got a couple weeks. The sale ends on the 1st of May. Of course, you can learn more at marvel.com. Go download the app. Become a Marvel Insider. You are welcome. Yeah. That first volume of the current run of Moon Knight Comics is so good. I believe that's called The Midnight Mission. And I described it on that Hot Topic Live that Lorraine, you and I did. I described Mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. as like 
Moon Knight Dragon Ball Z where he starts out fighting somebody and then he becomes friends. Dragon Ball Z. It all comes back to GBZ. They fight, they become friends, and then he fights someone else and they become friends and he's building up this crew of people from things he fought, including a building. He fights a building and then becomes friends with a building. It rules. It does rule. All right, you know what else is going to rule? Marvel Studios' Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. This week, we got new character posters for Doctor Strange, Wanda Maximoff, Wong, America Chavez, Dr. Christine Palmer, and more dough. Woo! Yeah! I am so excited for this film. I have been working on some stuff associated with the film. No spoilers. And I am so excited to experience it. Get your tickets now. If you haven't already, go and get them. It's coming only to theaters on May 6th. Also, there's a great new featurette over on Marvel.com mm-hmm. or the Marvel YouTube channel that you can check out. Honestly, like... At this point, to call back the Backyardigans, we are into the thick of it. So enjoy some Marvel Studios Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Bandis everywhere until the 6th. I can't wait. I just got a box in of Marvel Legends from the Marvel Studios Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness inspired wave. Is there America? There's an America and she rules. And the Build-A-Figure is Rintra. (gasps) God dang it, Ryan. You know I'm not supposed to buy any more stuff. Now I want it. There's so much great stuff. I'm going to have to go buy Marvel Legends now. Yeah. For anybody out there who has not already gotten their copy of Spider-Man No Way Home, good to know that now the film is available on Blu-ray, DVD, 4K Ultra, HD, and digital. Wait, Ryan. What? If there's No Way Home, how does it get to your house? Oh boy, it's Lorraine, everybody. Welcome her to the show. Now you have no excuses. Get whatever copy suits you best, but watch some Spider-Man and all his friends and enemies and all that good stuff. But Ryan, what's happening in the comics world? Yeah. Oh, this is super duper cool. Surprise. This week saw the early release of all 10 parts of the 10 Lives and X Deaths of Wolverine series over on Marvel Unlimited. This is pretty amazing because it just wrapped up like a month or two ago and it went 10 Lives of Wolverine and then an X Deaths of Wolverine issue. Now, all of them are on Marvel Unlimited. It's a great story written by Benjamin Percy. He did all 10 issues. And then the 10 Lives issues are drawn by Joshua Cassara. The X Deaths issues are drawn by Federico Vicentini. And there's a great crew of colorists and and everybody else who worked on these titles. And it's really a great jumping on point if you want to get into what's going forward for the X books. Mm -hmm. We're going into the destiny of X. So Inferno is the big story that sort of catapulted us into this Wolverine story. That's also on Marvel Unlimited as of this week. So you can read Inferno, then read the 10 Lives and X Deaths storyline, and then you're like fresh and ready to go into all the X-Men comics that are happening right now. And then there's a really fun bonus now if you have the 10 Lives and X Deaths issues. There's also the Companion Infinity comic series, Life of Wolverine. You can read those in with your lives and deaths and you get the whole picture. It is really terrific. If you're not already a subscriber to Marvel Unlimited, please get your head out of your butt and subscribe. I believe that is the official tagline. Also, these are such good comics. Holy crap. They're so good. Go read them. 
Also, I am very excited for this next one, Ms. Marvel and Wolverine number one, speaking of Wolverine, but a different vibe when he's teamed up with Ms. Marvel. This is going to be written by Jody Hauser with art by Z. Carlos and a beautiful cover by Sarah Pichelli. But it's the first of three one-shots where Ms. Marvel is going to team up with a different hero. Shout out to Jody Hauser. She's my birthday twin. I love Jody. She's the best. Yeah. So happy belated birthday, Jody. And these are going to be such fun stories. I mean, also... I remember from that initial run of Ms. Marvel that there is the best issue. I think it's around like issue 11 or 12 where she teams up with Wolverine in the like underground of New Jersey. And it's so great. And I just love how pumped Kamala is to team up with Wolverine. It's a really great issue, but I'm really excited for this because I just love this sort of like happy-go-lucky teen teamed up with the grouchiest 150-year-old man. It's great. And here's a little bit of the flavor text. When a mysterious threat lands in New York City, Ms. Marvel takes matters into her own and big in hands. But with the Krakoan security tech compromised, you can bet Wolverine and the X-Men won't be far behind. The best there is at what he does teams up with one of the Marvel Universe's most lauded heroes in an over action-packed adventure for the ages i just i love this this is going to be so fun i'm very excited to check it out this summer yeah i like how you use flavor text every time you say flavor text i want to ask what it tastes like oh (laughs) well flavor text is because i play too much magic the gathering and that is what you call or at least what my friend group calls the language on the cards it's the storyline of the card and its abilities if anybody wants to play magic the gathering with me i'm available (laughs) I want to play. Oh my God, Ryan, you would hate it. And I can tell you why, because it has so many mechanics. You would be so angry. Why can't I blow you up with my card? (laughs) (laughs) But I will play with you anytime. Sure. All right. Let's get back to the comics talk because we announced All Out Avengers. This week was actually announced by Marvel Comics Editor-in-Chief C.B. Cebulski at a convention. Can you believe it? Live at a convention, Fan Expo Philadelphia, the creative team is Derek Landy writing and Greg Land on the arts. Which is the best team name ever. Oh, yeah. Like a creative team. Landy and Land? Are you kidding me? That's kismet, baby. (laughs) Very true. Derek Landy just did a really fun series called Captain America and Iron Man, which was Super duper fun. He did another series before that. I would highly suggest y'all check that out if you haven't read it. Some of the issues are on Marvel Unlimited. It just wrapped up recently. It's got Captain America and Iron Man teaming up and fun robots and it's quirky and his dialogue is super, super great. So I'm very excited for this. Of course, Greg Land has been doing Marvel books for years. He just finished Symbiote Spider-Man stuff. And the idea here is like... You're going to have a ton of Avengers. The first issue has Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, Spider-Man, Captain Marvel, Black Panther, Blade, and Spider-Woman. They have to overcome odds and diffuse a situation and, you know, all kinds of stuff. New Marvel villainous, lots of stuff going on. But the idea is like, go, go, go. Avengers action. Potentially, you could see anyone who's been an Avenger in the book. I expect it to be a lot of fun, very fast moving, exciting superhero comics. And it's coming in September. Yeah, smash and crash. I love an action book. Speaking of, Thor number 27, coming down the pike. Of course, written by Donnie Cates, Salvador LaRocca on those pencils, these arts. But in this team up of kings, Thor, now king of Asgard, and Eddie Brock, king in black, are going to set aside some personal differences in order to save the one thing they love the most, me. No, just kidding, Earth. This is going to be an epic team up with a couple of interstellar king boys. Get into it. Ooh, interstellar kings is a great name of like a story or That's a my band, band or something. Yeah. 
We are the Interstellar Kings. <laughs> That's going to be super fun. Donnie getting to write Venom again, all kinds of cool stuff. And Salva is tremendous. So I'm looking forward to that. Another thing we're looking forward to is exterminators, not the people that come and get rid of bugs out of your house, different kind of exterminators. It's a limited series by Leah Williams with art by Carlos Gomez, and it is going to be on sale July 6th, and it is four of the fiercest X-Men who are about to have a night they'll never forget. One night only, baby. Or maybe several nights. We'll find out. But it's going to include Dazzler, Jubilee, Boom Boom, and Wolverine. I want to go to this party. They're going to take a chaotic ride through a dark corner of Marvel's underworld. And this is so fun. It's influenced by sort of like grindhouse films. So fans of blood, sweat, revenge, all of the booming. I can only assume, especially because Boom Boom is there. Definitely check it out. X Terminators coming July 6th. Also, we're looking forward to the next prose novel from Marvel and Aconite's Marvel Untold Line. It is written by Marcella Rockwell and is called Sisters of Sorcery, and it gives us a deeper look at the dark dimension. Ooh. I am freaking excited for this. Yeah, why? <laughs> because it's a Clea book. Yeah. That's why. I love Clea, and she's just like one of my favorite classic characters who is starting to come into the zeitgeist, and we're starting to see her come back into comics a bit more, but... Like, she just rules, and for so long, I've been wanting her to get her due, and now she's finally getting it, and I'm pumped. I'll be honest, I've not read a ton of Clea's stories, but the vibe I <sighs> always rules. get is, like, she's not been written the way that I would want to see her written most of the time, as, like, this badass, powerful, cool foil, like, side-by-side side with Doctor Strange, more like, oh, Doctor Strange, teach me. Well, but that's the thing that's crazy to me, and why I want her to have a modern moment and why I'm really excited to see her in the new Sorcerer Supreme comics because she is this character who's always been way more powerful than mm -hmm. than Doctor Strange. Let's just say it. This is like an amazing character who is amazingly powerful and she has a certain glow of the 60s, 70s. And I'm really excited to see her coming into her own, becoming a modern woman, becoming more appropriate within the zeitgeist we now live in. Yeah, I would say with that in mind, everybody should read Death of Doctor Strange and the current Strange series, mm -hmm. all written by Jed McKay, who writes some terrific comics these days. Uh, we talked about his Moon Knight stuff. He wrote Black Cat for a while. And his Clea is so badass she's she so ferocious she cuts a dude's arm off using a portal yeah she's pissed <laughs> she's basically like incredibly powerful super terrifying she's the sorcerer supreme of two realms she rules this is the clea that i want to read and so everything that you're talking about lorraine i agree with but let's get back to marvel untold this is a great line of books and here's a little bit of the flavor text Clea knows her mother will stop at nothing to conquer the whole of the splintered realms, imperiling all of reality. This is like mom-daughter clash, mm -hmm. um, which I think is going to be really, really cool. And so I'm really excited for these two characters that have honestly been overshadowed for the last several decades by the dudes in the stories because the, the stories were about the dudes. Listen, I get it. Full disclosure, the stories were about them. And they were side characters, but I'm really excited for them to get their own story where they are at the forefront. It's really cool. Heck yeah, this is going to be great. I can't wait to see this. We can check out the cover on Marvel.com and it's available everywhere books are sold. September 6, 2022. Pre-order it now. Or die. I don't know why you and I are just like every, let's end everything with that. 
I mean, it, it feels good. What also feels good is for everybody to go listen to Marvel's Pull List podcast, which is one of the other shows I host. We had a great guest host this week, writer, journalist, podcaster, Stephanie Williams. She came on to help us with the whole show. We talked about a rad arc of Ms. Marvel with current Ms. Marvel Beyond the Limit writer, Samira Ahmed, which was super fun. And then our picks for the week were Electra number 100, What If Miles Morales number two, where Miles is Wolverine. Say what? what? And X-Men House of 92, which is basically the X-Men 92 taking the continuity of the mm. X-Men animated series, but then mm. telling the story of House of X, the current Ooh. Marvel big sort of reimagining of what the X-Men are that's been going on for the last couple of years. It's so much fun. You get to see all the classic X-Men animated series costumes and you start to hear their voices and things. And it's it's a blast. I really highly suggest that one. All right, but you know what's the best? Yeah. Roseanne A. Brown, author of Into the Heartlands, a Black Panther novel featuring Shuri and T'Challa and a whole bunch of great stuff. A great look at Wakanda. This conversation was so fun. I'm very tickled by Roseanne's love of the 2000s comics. It really spoke to my heart and made me feel old. <laughs> also, we talked about the, she's not like an X-Men person, so I got to put together a little X-Men reading list for her and our producer, Isabel, which made me happy. It was really just looking at Marvel Unlimited and picking some stuff that was already up there and sorted, but just making sure we had them in one place. I'm happy to share that list with anybody who mm -hmm. wants it. If you want Good some X-Men comic suggestions, hit me up. Also, go read X-Men Executioner's Song because it is the greatest comic book story ever created. But we're not going to talk about that right now. Let's get into our conversation with Roseanne A. Brown right now. Lorraine, are you ready to take a trip into the heartlands with our guest this week, New York Times bestselling author Roseanne A. Brown? Roseanne, hello. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Mm-hmm. What is your Marvel origin story? So the thing is that I have been into comics since I was a child, but I very much grew up on more of the DC side, if I'm Boo. being honest. I, Boo. I, know, I know. Get off this podcast. <laughs> Immediately eject me. Um, but, so as a child, it was all DC all the time. But for me, on the Marvel side, it was actually the MCU, not the comics that got me into the Marvel side of the characters. I still remember when Avengers came out, I was in high school and I just remember going to that movie. Like I had seen some of the solo movies like kind of on and off. And I was like, oh, Captain America, he seems cool. But it wasn't until Avengers, I was like, wait a minute. This is not just like that non-DC company. This is like amazing. And since then, <laughs> I have been really deep into it and learning more of the lore and the characters on the comic side, as well as on the TV and film side. That's how we get you. <laughs> I'm glad that as you've matured, you've come to see the light. You've seen the better side of the street. As you've started to dig back into, you know, everything Marvel, what, is, what has caught your eye? What characters or stories or, or things have you glommed onto? I mean... Miles Morales is, I know that's a big one for a lot of people. Even before Spider-Verse, when his first run came out, when he was first introduced, I was also in high school around that time. And I just remember like, Black Spider-Man, what? What, you can do that? So Miles Morales was a big one. Um, there was the Young Avengers run with Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey. And Jamie McKelvey. Yes. So oh good. That run was so good. Like Kate Bishop and Miss America and then Teddy and Wiccan. Oh, that was an amazing, amazing run for me. Mm -hmm. Wait. 
I lied to y'all. I just remembered. I did read my first Marvel comic. I was in middle school. It was Ultimate X-Men. And I remember being like, I don't know what's going on here. Because I feel like the <laughs> X-Men are not a good one to jump in with. Just because there's so much lore and just so much happening there. So I remember reading this like, who are these people? So technically my first was Ultimate X-Men. But I actually didn't really get into it until I watched the MCU. So You are such a strong child of the 2000s. <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm living for it. So obviously, you know, you're you're already a, a very accomplished New York Times bestselling author. But how did you come to write a book for Marvel or more specifically original graphic novel? Okay, so flashback, it is 2020, the early part of 2020. So like pandemic is still very new. And we're all like, oh, it'll be over in a month or so. <laughs> so it's that time of the year. And I was prepping up for the launch of my debut novel, A Song of Race and Ruin. I get this email from my agent and she's like, hey, Rosie, I know we have so much going on. I know the book's launching a couple months, but I have this editor at Marvel who is looking for authors to pitch their ideas for this graphic novel line they're starting. Like, you probably, I know you're too busy, so let me know if you want me to say no. And I was like, don't you dare do that. No, I want to pitch something. I want to do something. I just immediately, they're they like, okay, so the line they're starting with, they're starting with Miles Morales, they're starting with Kamala Khan, and they're starting with uh, Shireen T'Challa. So which of those three do you want to pitch for? And I was like, I want Shireen T'Challa. I want Shireen T'Challa. I want, I want to do that one. I want to do that one. And I immediately knew that, like, I wanted to do a sibling story with these two characters. Like, I am the oldest of three siblings myself, and that's just a dynamic that I just love exploring like <laughs> siblings and how they act and I, from the start even though i was like looking at my calendar i'm like can i fit this in i was like no for black panther i will fit this in <laughs> was this your first time writing comics graphic novel anything like that yeah it actually was the team of marvel was so helpful with that they actually had like a whole packet and stuff prepared of like moving from prose to comics and i'm like well, you guys are definitely the experts. You guys work with a lot of prose writers making that jump. And so that was very useful, like, to go through that and be able to see, like, oh, like, you can let the art do more of the work. You don't have to explain every single tiny detail like you do in a book. We have three main artists that you're with. So for me, it definitely, on the writing side, I kind of had to train myself to think of story in a different way. Because when I'm writing prose, I'm very much thinking, like, what emotion is this word gonna like invoke? Like how do I structure the sentence in a way to get the reaction I need to get? But in a comic, because so much of the heavy lifting was the art, it was less focused on that literal prose and the literal dialogue and more, how can I put these characters in situations that are gonna give the artist the most room to have that full emotional impact? So the focus was less actually on the, what was I putting on this page, like dialogue and prose wise and more, the situations like I had to sort of think more cinematically and the artists themselves were actually so helpful with this because we kind of went back and forth on a couple of things I was like where do you feel most comfortable drawing like what like where do you feel your strengths lie how do you feel about framing this in this way because I knew they had that expertise I didn't have and so it became so easy to really think like okay Dika is she is so so strong at um, showing like character emotions and like these very small sort of character takes in her art. And so let's put lots more like scenes where the characters are kind of close together. We really highlight like how they interact with each other versus sort of some other ways I could have set up scenes. And so it definitely took a little while and I feel like I kind of hit my stride maybe after I was like maybe a third of the way through the book. I'm like, oh, okay, this writing style feels more natural. But after a while, it started to flow. So I opened the book and I was like, oh my God, I am in love with this story from the start. It's so fun. It's so buoyant. It is just joyful. 
and exciting, mm-hmm. even though there's like, you know, drama and chaos and, and action and all kinds of stuff. There's just something to it that pulls you in so, so immediately for you as the, as the writer and for your first time in comics, what was your reaction? Did you start to see these pages come through? To be really honest, I was like screaming like a baby. This was like, because <laughs> it's like for writing, it's just like, it's you and the page, right? And it's like, sometimes maybe you'll get a cover, maybe you can commission art, but like, it's very rare as a writer, you get to see your ideas like portrayed visually. And so like, just that first time we got the first couple pages from the story and it's like, this was in my head and now it exists in a form other people can see. What? That's not how anything works. Um, <laughs> but even the way that sometimes like the artist would take, I'd imagine a scene one way, right? And then they did actually portray it in a way I never even imagined. But I was like, wow, I that interpretation of like this part of the script did not even occur to me. But that is just a great way to do it. And just the little ticks and the little like jokes. Like one of my favorite panels is in the very first scene where Shuri and T'Challa are both trying to like run to their mom to get the other in trouble. And in the script, I was literally like, this panel has the energy of that classic mom, like um, <laughs> meme from Face and Verb. And then Dika took that and ran with it. And like that whole sequence is so hilarious. Like just the way they were able to bring into a story that does get into some darker themes towards the end. But just this very like, it just feels so alive. Like, I love that. I really had such a blast reading it. I'm a little sister. I have a very annoying older brother. And so like this really spoke to me on a deeper level. (laughs) I was like, I've lived this somehow. But, you know, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, where we meet Shuri and T'Challa at the beginning of the story? How old are they? And, you know, what what's what's up with them? Definitely. And I should preface this with I am the oldest of three girls, so I'm definitely more biased towards T'Challa's point of view of the story as the <laughs> oldest. Like, it's so fascinating. Like As I'm getting people's reaction, I can be like, oh, you were the oldest, or you were the middle, or you were the youngest, based on like which character they relate to more. <laughs> so Shuri and T'Challa into the Heartlands, it begins, Shuri is 12 years old, and T'Challa is in his teens. He's around 16 to 17. There's this festival called the Soul Washing Ceremony that happens, which is kind of a way for the people of Wakanda to give thanks to the ancestors. And so it's starts the day before the soul washing shuri and t'challa are preparing and shuri is kind of very resentful that like t'challa gets to have a big part of the ceremony and she's just supposed to stay on the side because she's not old enough so the day of the ceremony happens and they get into a big argument that accidentally destroys the ceremony site and almost immediately after that people across wakanda start getting sick and so everyone of course assumes that because they ruined the ceremony the ancestors are mad at them and have cursed them And so Shuri decides that she's going to go on a quest to this fantastic magical land for a cure to the illness. And T'Challa being a meddling big brother tags along as well. So they go on this (laughs) quest to go uh, end the curse, save their mom and save Wakanda. And so with that, when I was sort of researching kind of my pitch and how I want to angle the story, I knew from the start I wanted to do the sibling story. But I wanted to go a bit deeper. I'm like, okay, what makes their sibling relationship unique? Like, how does it stand out? Because Mm -hmm. before this, like my main, like many people, my main entry into it was the 2018 movie. And in them, we see that like they have a very strong bond. We see that like Shuri will tease and nag him, but like they're still very close. But one thing that surprised me is as I was reading like the comics available of their younger years, they actually weren't that close growing up. Like they actually had a lot of issues with one another. And so I was thinking like, oh, wow, so how do we get these two people who, honestly, like, they didn't really, like, not even just, like, siblings bicker, but they're, like, they did not like each other to, like, these strong, like, united front we see in them as adults. A very interesting detail that stuck out to me during my research is a detail in the comics that's not in the movies, but that T'Challa's 
birth mother is different than Shuri's birth mother. So T'Challa's mother is Queen Yami, who was T'Chaka's first wife. But then she died, and then he remarried Ramonda, and they had Shuri. And so Shuri and T'Challa are part of this blended family. And that is something that spoke to me very deeply, because mm-hmm. I have a similar sort of setup within my own family. And sort of that those questions that arise, especially when your family is blended, not necessarily because of a, a consensual like separation, but because of a death. And those questions that arise, like you love this branch of your family and you can't imagine your life without them. But the part of you that's always kind of like, what if, like what would have happened if this person hadn't died? Like what would that have looked like? And so I really want to explore that tension that Shuri and T'Challa have and like how T'Challa sort of struggles like to want to like know more about his birth mother, but at the same time he still loves Ramonda, he loves Shuri, he loves all them. And then of course Shuri kind of dealing with the fact that like technically she's alive because this lady died. Like and that's very hard to process as an adult, especially as a child. And so them sort of coming to terms with that and like where they stand in relation to each other. And so for me, because that's something I found it so relatable because these are these fantastical characters. They're literally royalty. And yet being in a blended family, that's something so many kids, so many adults can relate to. And so if it felt like a great way to really ground these characters and ground their emotions in this really fantastical tale. I love the that relationship, the conversations that they have. They're just, it was beautiful and sad and sweet and, and all those things. To me, like reading this, it was so fun because this exists in its own world and it, it is so great and it's this time capsule, but it it feels so, like I can see the the roots of all the other stories and how it connects to things, which is it's beautiful. It's a great way also because it's intended for younger readers. It's such a great way for them to then go and find these other stories when they're ready. Yes. Like the Rise one, that was such a big influence. The Rise series, that's actually where I learned first learned about Nyami and I learned that she was also a scientist. And then it just felt like I couldn't make that connection between her and science and Shuri and science. Like it felt almost meant to be there. And then like the Nick Stone Shuri novels, that was another big influence. The way Nick writes Shuri and like her confidence and like her brashness and like, but also like this emotional vulnerability to her, that was another big influence as well. Like I was really kind of cherry picking bits and pieces of what really worked for me. Like even M'Baku gets a little cameo just because M'Baku is my favorite character from the (laughs) movies. And I tried so hard, like, as we were going through the plot, I'm like, is there any way I can have M'Baku have a bigger impact on this plot? But, like, we were we were trying to, like, wing in different ways, but we just couldn't really justify how he'd know them at that age. But I was like, we are getting this cameo in if it's the last thing I do. <laughs> it's super fun, too, because he's just, like, sitting, having a drink, chilling, doing what he's doing, working. And it's just like, it's like, there's a little M'Baku. I cracked up with it. So well done. <laughs> I'm so proud we were able to keep that because I was just like we need a character here who like helps them at this pivotal scene at the end I'm like it's M'Baku we don't have to justify why it's him <laughs> Um, I think we're all just happy to see him and there's just so much delightful stuff in the book I have to say you know I, I love the relationship between T'Challa and, and Shuri my spouse and I talk about this a lot because we have really different sibling relationships him and his sister were raised to be best best friends and so they are so close. And me and my brother were not. And so we always bump heads. We love each other very much. We would do anything for each other, but I would like to push him out a window sometimes. <laughs> like very lovingly. But but I love that there's like a really wonderful arc of their relationship that we don't always get to see with siblings, which I think is super exciting. And I love seeing Nyami. I had like a real 
like, yeah, moment when I <laughs> got to see her in the series. And, you know, it's just been really fun to see all the different faces that you get in, including M'Baku. What folks were you when you started looking at the story? Like, I have to include them. I want them in my story and I want to play with those roles. Well, M'Baku is the first one, as I mentioned, just because love that man, love Winston Duke. Um, <laughs> Nyami, um, her as well, because like... So many people only know Ramonda, which is understandable. She's an amazing character and who has done so much within like every realm of the Black Panther franchise. But I really wanted to have a bit of a highlight on T'Challa's birth mother and a little bit of more of Nyami and sort of her influence and how sort of her death has impacted the entire family. Because a big part of why T'Challa is so freaked out when Ramonda gets sick is because that lingering trauma of like having lost one parent. Well, at this point, he's lost both parents. So like having lost... Mm -hmm. on his way to lose a third parent. He is really going through parents in this book. I don't know what's going on with him. <laughs> and even Shuri, who this woman died years before she was born and still her impact is like impacting her life in the modern day and like kind of like the way people we don't know can linger and the way people we never met can linger was something I really wanted to explore. So I wanted to do Nyami. She has kind of a minor role as well, but it was really fun to do a younger Okoye because one small detail that like I hope people catch is that Okoye is not wearing her sort of iconic outfit we see her in because she hasn't actually graduated yet to like being a leader in the Dora Milaje and so it was kind of fun to see her in like sort of a more mundane like patrolling roles and like you see there's hints that she goofs off with Shuri in a way that like we don't get to see her do in some of the other Black Panther properties simply because she just has such an important role she doesn't have time to like goof around but one of my favorite moments is Shuri is kind of like down so Okoye trying to cheer her up and she's like Shuri would you like to play video games with me I would like to beat you again on the road of the rainbow because she's trying <laughs> to mention Mario Kart and this idea that Okoye both doesn't fully get the reference but also is very good at Mario Kart was very funny to me <laughs> and just little, sort of little humanizing details like that like this idea like these are one day these will all be the people we know and like we love and who we look up to but like in this time period they're still kind of kids and they're still kind of there's room for a bit more playfulness than we get to see in other properties i love the playfulness but i also wanted to just say as someone who i didn't really know my father and then he he died when i was very young and my daughter was adopted and so there's a whole situation of that like you're talking about how the impact of people in our lives even though we don't really know them how that affects us long term it's something that i've dealt with for 30 odd years my daughter will will go through for a long time um so and i thought you handled it beautifully and it's a wonderful way for me to to actually have some of those conversations with with my daughter later on down the road but we, we talked about the science of things and nyami and which is super cool i geeked out with the uh, the techno organic virus as someone who like grew up reading X-Men comics and that's been such an important part of X-Men lore for 30 years that popped me but also there's a lot of magic in this and so we, you play with magic and science what appealed to you to bring them both into this story so with the techno-organic virus I have to give full props to my editor for that one because I was like we need an illness here and I can make one up but do y'all got anything and she's like Oh, I got one for you because again, X Men are not my strong suit. But so I'm so glad that reference people got that one. For me, I think the interplay between magic and technology is part of what makes the Black Panther mythos so engaging, because like they are the most technologically advanced nation on the world. Yet the Black Panther powers come from this very sort of mystical, sacred space, and so sort of balancing that. And for me as well, like I'm a immigrant from Ghana, so I grew up with a lot of sort of Ghanaian spirituality and way of looking at the world. It was something I understood very deeply, like this idea that the world moves forward and things change and like you adapt with it but like 
a lot of these core sort of ancestral beliefs don't really change. It doesn't have to be one versus the other. Like you can have both iPads and virtual reality and also have traditional ceremonies to honor the ancestors that are actually very simple. And so getting to do both. And I also found it very interesting with Shuri. Like Shuri is this very technical, technologically minded individual. She likes logic, she likes numbers who is surrounded by this very magical society and she still has a healthy level of skepticism that other characters find very funny that she can't just accept it. So one of my favorite panels is when Shuri is talking about how she doesn't think curses are real and like if they don't do the ceremony, she doesn't think the ancestors are gonna do anything. And her friend's like, that's a lot coming from someone whose family gets magic cat powers from a plant. (laughs) (laughs) I laugh out loud. (laughs) Like I just thought it was so funny, like exploring how even with like all this evidence of sort of otherworldliness, supernatural around you, sometimes the human mind can just be like, okay, but that doesn't make sense. So I'm just not going to believe it. And it also kind of shows like how Shuri, like she's so young, like she has a very sort of binary way of thinking. And it even lends into some of her ideas about family and how, oh, T'Challa can't both grieve his birth mother and want her to be alive and also still want like me to have been born and like his father to have remarried and like she thinks it has to be one or the other and so that's sort of a, a way of thinking we sort of slowly, slowly see her move out of like it doesn't have to be one or the other when it comes to family or when it comes to magic and technology either i love that so much and i love honestly that we get both technology and fantasy because it gifts us so many wonderful things and that is mustard mustard <laughs> the jerboa give that give that little cute fuzzy guy you know seven seasons in a movie that's all that i want for him just a full life where where did the idea for mustard come from and and tell everyone about his sweet little baby glory i love him so much <laughs> so jerboas are always a creature i found so fascinating because they're so weird looking like mustard the jerboa is much cuter in the book than actual Jerboas are. If any of y'all looked that up, the artist, they really like sort of Disney-fied that for y'all because he's so adorable. Um, (laughs) And it was very, I think, so a big part of the book is a quest, right? They go into the Heartlands, which is considered sort of this like magical space, not quite the spirit realm, but not quite the human world. It's almost like this transition space. And in the grand traditions of quest, I knew they needed sort of a guide slash advisor to get them through this world and sort of get them where they needed to go. And so I played around and like, do I want to do an animal? Do I want to do a person? Do I want to do a spirit? And then I was like, you know what? Number one, I want something adorable. So let's get the cutest animal we can think of. But I also want something that would not be quite what they expect. Because obviously, we with this family, we see lots of Black Panther imagery for very obvious reasons. And we see this very regal, very noble creature. And so I was like, we're getting a rat. We're getting... The- <laughs> that <laughs> that is kind of the opposite of a Black Panther, if you think about it. <laughs> yes, we're getting the scrawniest, most weak-looking um, <laughs> animal we can possibly give them. And sure, T'Challa, they just got to trust that this little rodent thing could keep them alive and at the beginning they're very skeptical like they meet one of my favorite moments is when they first meet mustard and he's like hey i can help you all they just start screaming like this idea that (laughs) they are used to panthers like they are used to like all these big animals but they see a like a rodent and they just freak out (laughs) the heartlands section that's by natasha bustos right it's She's so freaking good. She's one of our Marvel Stormbreakers. I don't want to give too much away, but there's a, a character that appears later on in that section and so fierce and so intense. The way that Natasha draws the facial expressions and the acting and like you get so emotionally drawn into that character story and it's it's done so beautifully between your incredible dialogue and the story, but also through what Natasha can put across on a silent panel. It's really something special. Yes. And I really loved how we ended up doing like sort of 
there's kind of three or so sections of the book and how we had a different artist for every section. Like it just ended up flowing so beautifully in this way that like really this transition from the regular world into the fantasy world and then the fantasy world back to the regular world, but the regular world's not quite the same as we left it. Like I just thought that was just so masterfully done. Within the Heartland section, like that was definitely one of the trickiest parts to sort of nail down because like the imagery of Wakanda is very like well known and there's so much to draw from, but we, we were creating something so new here. And so we were giving Natasha, we were giving her lots of free reign we're like this it needs to feel like kind of fantastical almost like just this world where anything's possible but still also sort of feel like it fits within the black panther lore um i know we were doing a lot of research into sort of the jungles of east africa and really giving this sort of like otherworldly vibe to it the silent panels are honestly my favorite number one because like technically it's less writing for me so that's great but also number two i am just a sucker for like up like a moment where like a character is just devastated and like you don't need to say anything you don't need any narration like you can just see from their face like someone says something and like it has just hit home in the worst way possible i live for those moments in comics and i feel like that's one of the few mediums that can really do that to full effect even like in a way that books or even movies can't and so there because there's so many reveals that happen in the heartland section seeing natasha really pull out all the stops and making them hurt as much as possible was amazing it's so fun to read i feel like the best thing about comics or graphic novels is that you get the best of both worlds of books and film because you know in film it's all the visuals it's all the sound it's all the voices right and in books it's just the words but here we like get those wonderful visuals we get to be inserted into the world but we still let our imagination play those scenes through completely which is so fun you know as this graphic novel goes into the hands of young readers and and old let's be honest i would recommend this to literally anyone to read it is so delightful what do you hope they take away from the book i think the biggest thing i want readers to take away is sort of really challenge sort of what ideas about maybe themselves and their families they force themselves to believe and is there a bit more room for fluidity than they thought like i feel like all of us for lots of various reasons we sort of internalize certain things about our lives and ourselves as truth and like x equals y and that's just the way it is and the characters slowly start to unlearn that i want readers to do the same as well and also sort of to think about sort of power and legacy and like what does it mean to like look back and feel like you can't criticize certain institutions because that's something sure and t'challa have to learn within the book like they start to learn that some of the things they've been taught weren't wrong but they weren't 100 given the full picture mm -hmm. and they have to figure out how do we push back against this when we were told this was the way it had to be when they learned actually it really didn't have to be like that and so i really want to empower especially young readers to really look at their own life and be like you know what i've been told this is just the way it is but that doesn't have to be true there's a lot of room to play in the gray spaces and i think there's a lot of true life joy in those gray spaces Rosie, thanks so much. We uh, One thing we got to do, we got to get you on the X-Men tip. We got to get you reading some <laughs> X-Men comics, diving into the wonderful world of all things X-Men. There's some great characters, stories, just talking with you. I'm like, you'd be all over the X-Men, like proper. Listen, just email me. Where do I start? Because there's so much. Like, I'm just like, I don't even know where to begin. And I, I don't know, maybe if I go back to Ultimate X-Men, like, it'll make more sense no, to no, me no, now. No, 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 no. Ultimate, <laughs> it's also, that that one's also in the Ultimate universe. It's so it's like thing. extra weird because it's yeah. different versions of the characters that you know. So we'll get you something a little less complicated. Yeah, either start <laughs> with like 1970s Uncanny X-Men and read it for 20 years worth of stories, which are great. <laughs> or just start recently with House of X and Powers of Ten, which is like, 
it is confusing, but it's also very complete and then pushes you forward in great ways. And like eventually Storm becomes queen of the universe. So what more do you want? Yes, I will. My only other X-Men thing besides um, besides Ultimate X-Men was the old cartoon that used to be on like Disney yeah. Channel. The one with the like very fun, not the like 80s fun theme song, but the other fun theme song when they're all like high schoolers. That was my only other thing. I remember I liked Shadow Cat's ponytail. That's all I really remember from when that was Eric. <laughs> X-Men Evolution. It's great show. Yes, that, that was yeah, the name. That's yes. the one. Yeah. Rosie, thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me. And of course, everybody go pre-order your copy now wherever books are sold. Big thank you to Roseanne A. Brown. Again, she is the author of Into the Heartlands, a Black Panther novel featuring Shuri and T'Challa. It's available now. Go read it. It is super duper cute. Oh, it's so enjoyable. Feel joy. And some sadness. There's some definite sadness. Oh, yeah. And really wonderful. There's feelings throughout, but it's really great. There are feelings throughout. (laughs) Is that not what the kids (laughs) say? That's definitely a TikTok thing. There's feelings throughout. (laughs) At no point will you feel like a sociopath. (laughs) <laughs> on that right. note okay let's keep this show a rolling because we're going to get into the community section our question of the week section our guest next week is ryan north writer and wonderful canadian superstar he's going to be coming on to talk about a super secret project that we will share more info about shortly but with that in mind, we know that Ryan North wrote just a legendary run of Squirrel Girl comics, The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. There's graphic novels in there. There's There were tie-in novels that we had super duper fun with. Mm-hmm. There was Squirrel Mania was running wild for a good couple of years. And so we want to ask, what are your favorite Squirrel Girl stories? Let us know. There's a ton to pick from. Over 50 issues there. There's the classics like her first appearance where she beats Doctor Doom and like shames iron man which is a hoot i mean there's so many i feel like that first issue where she just like is friends with galactus and gives him nuts to eat is great that's issue two the first issue where she convinces craven to go fight giant whale dudes she's going to college and craven is on campus and he's about to like fight all the squirrels and she's like instead of fighting this why don't you go after the most dangerous game gigantos and it's these big the whale with the feet yeah yeah, the whales with arms and feet and he has this little sparkle around him when he realizes like (laughs) this would be a great moment oh it's so great the whole run brings us so many treasures the squirrel girl theme song Mm -hmm. i just love when she sticks her tail in her yoga pants and she's just like yeah i look thick with my tail and my yoga (laughs) pants and that's how it is and i just love it i just love it it's so great her whole little cast of friends Brain drain, the best. Yeah. There's like the time travel story with Nancy Whitehead. Oh, yeah. Nancy and Doreen, which is like... The Mole Man story where he's like, Milady, would you like to come live in my hold with me? And I just... I just love that whole run because it's so funny, but also it has so much heart and it deals with problems in a way like, yeah, like this is the right way should deal with things like have a conversation first before you just like punch somebody in the neck yeah there's lots of feelings throughout which is always good we <laughs> like God, feelings. <laughs> yeah there's tremendous every time we get you know really fun brain drain stories man it's good i want to reread the entire series yeah 
so many good stories, so many. But of course, you should tell us what your answer is. You can tweet us your answers using the hashtag This Week in Marvel. You can email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com. Or you can send us a message on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash thisweekinmarvel. Also, like it while you're there. Why not? And of course, please make sure to tell us if it's quote unquote okay to read. Because we would love to read it here on the show like we're about to do. Let's get into last week's question of the week, which was, who is your favorite magical Marvel creature and why? An essay. First up, we have Mr. Titanium at Mr. Titanium 18, who said, to answer the creature question for me would need to be lockjaw. All the words put together make you smile. Giant, teleporting, loyal, guardian, protector, bulldog. Aw. I mean, truth. Good boy. Truth. All right, we've got one in here from Ralito Aliman at Ralito Aliman, who says, My favorite magical creature is probably Shumagoroth. I just don't know why, but it is my favorite one. I know why. It's because he's a giant, mean, scary, elder god eye with tentacles and, like, comes back and eats things and realities and is scary and cool and, and just rules. I mean, when you look into that eye, you just know... I don't know. He's a weird boy, but I love him. Yeah. If you haven't read it, go read Savage Avengers. Chumagorath shows up in that run and is one of the best comics ever. Yeah. Next up, Happy Yao at Yao. Happy says, Dr. Strange, because his powers are just interesting and enjoyable. He can do anything he wants, like open portals, shield himself, send people to mirror dimensions, have a cloak, which helps him. You know what? I love it because, yeah. He is a creature, I guess, technically. There are no wrong answers. Yeah. Good one. I like it. Hank Van Asperin at Asperin underscore Hank says Fin Fang Foom because reasons. You need no reason. That's a perfect answer. Next up, we have Karis Pollard at a Karis Pollard who says just one. Well, I'm pretty sure that if I don't say Mr. Horse, I will be very trampled on. And he is truly awesome. However, any answer also not to mention Jeff. Is he magical? He is to me. Um, Jeff is magical. Mm-hmm. Jeff the Landshark is the best boy. Yeah. And Mr. Horse, if listeners, if you don't know Mr. Horse, Mr. Horse has appeared in the Jane Foster Valkyrie comics and everywhere she shows up these days, which are so much fun. Mr. Horse has this Northern English way of speaking, and it is tremendous. Rob at RobMCC68 says... I love Jane Foster's talking horse, one of Marvel's most clearly defined new characters in years. A horse is a horse, of course, of course. All right. Devin Colson at Devin Colson said, for me, I'd pick Thori. He's, <laughs> he is best good boy. Oh, Thori, Thor's big horrifying dog, Thori. Fit for a god, truly. So good. Yeah, I love Thori so much. All right, we get an email in here from Dakota Kroos, which says, Dear Lorraine and Ryan, my favorite magical Marvel creatures always come from the books of the Dark Lord Donny Cates. He created Bats in Doctor Strange and then got a real-life Basset Hound named Bats, making Bats the Marvel-only animal to exist in our universe. He also writes a great lockjaw, Hugin and Munin, but my pick absolutely must be Throg. He is quite possibly the greatest creature ever. I love when he used his hammer and he said, croak. Thanks for the awesome show, as always. Was that a good croak, Lorraine? That was a very good croak. Okay, thanks. Our friend Amy Thunderjam, as she's known on on the Twitters, Mm -hmm. has two little frogs. And I am still shocked she didn't name one Throg because she's obsessed. Yeah. 
Lorraine, there's a classic Loki figure comes with alligator Loki and <gasps> miniature frog Thor in a bottle. This oh. is, I know, it's a Hot Toys figure that is just incredible based on Marvel Studios Loki classic Loki look, which is just bananas. It's amazing. Please send me one. Thank you. Next up, we've got an email from Grayson Wozniczynski who said, Bats! Adorable. And you're not wrong. Yeah. Straight to the point. I like it. We got an email from Jake Bolton who says, My favorite magical creature would have to be Lockheed, Kitty Pride's dragon. Because, I mean, he's practically a pirate. And as if I needed another reason, he actually helps in battles like supplying Pyro with fire to manipulate. Way cool. Yeah. Who doesn't love Lockheed? We also got an email here from Kevin Helfman, who said, Hello, Ryan, Lorraine, and James, if he's not too busy doing it big, <laughs> which is legit. I am a high school language arts teacher, and next year I will be teaching an elective called Marvel Literature. I'm super excited about this opportunity. While teaching at an alternative school in Chicago, I taught Gabby Rivera's The Life and Times of America Chavez. Students who had struggled with language barriers were crushing it thanks to the help of this Comic. Perhaps most importantly, America Chavez spoke to so many of my students. Students who identified as Latinx shared how cool it was to be represented. This sentiment continued with students as I taught America Chavez during the pandemic. I wish for all of my students to see that they can see themselves as heroes with power. I wish to make this Marvel literature one where students feel validated, especially with students that face obstacles like language barriers or the school receives free reduced lunch. I would be forever humbled to hear if the TWIM crew would be able to provide any wisdom opportunities for affordable resources and guidance. Thank you so incredibly much for taking the time. Your show brings me such incredible joy each week because you two make it so. Again, I really appreciate all you do. With care, Kevin. Kevin. Oh, Kevin, what a great message. That is so wonderful. And also that is a great run to read with students. And it constantly impresses me. Television, comics are really, really helpful ways to learn language. You know, it's a lot easier than trying to sit down with a novel when you're just starting out with a language. You know, the art teaches you sort of like what you're reading about. It helps your brain process things. And I just think that's fabulous. Yeah. In terms of other stuff you might want to share with your students, there's the Marvel's Voices line of comics, which are really great. And there's Comunidades, which came out last year, which is all about Latinx heroes. But I think your students may find themselves in a lot of the Voices comics. So check those out. A couple of years ago, so they might not be as super easy to find, we were printing Ultimate Spider-Man in Spanish. So we did whole runs of the Ultimate Spider-Man comics in Spanish language. So they can check those out to work through some of those stories. That could be super cool. But in terms of finding the characters that they might see themselves, there's Reptile. If you have mm. Latinx students, there's Reptile. Of course, you talked about America Chavez. A lot of the characters that show up in voices are super cool. Think of even a character like Miguel O'Hara who is the Spider-Man of 2099. 
that's a, an important Latinx character to many, especially who grew up with him in the 90s. Anya Corazon, who is Aranya, also known as Spider-Girl. She had a great run of comics and really dove into some of her background. She showed up in Black Widow recently. There's lots of ways you can find these characters. Hopefully we can help you more. I'll send you an email, Kevin, and see what else I can do for you. I love that. That's so wonderful. Yeah, 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 yeah. What a great note to end this episode of This Week in Marvel, which was produced by Zachary Goldberg, Isabel Robertson, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos. Our senior manager of audio production and development is Brad Barton. And Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And special thanks to Shuma Gurath. He's always got his eye on you. Shuma Gurath. Tentacles. I'm Ryan. (laughs) I'm Lorraine. And this is Marvel. Your universe. Insert the sound of Flushy the toilet. Hello, Marvelites, who are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 545, and I'm Ryan Pragos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Agent of Chaos and Springtime and Flowers and Kitty Cats and Puppy Dogs. Lorraine, sing. And I'm Flushy the Twin Toilet, and you are now in the Flushyverse. Welcome to This Week in Flushy. <laughs> Ain't no potty like a house potty.